filibuster receives sponsorship from the Ehrlich Law Office, discrimination, wage, and litigation solutions serving Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia. They handle employment issues including wrongful termination, wage disputes, discrimination, equal employment opportunity matters, and more. They also handle civil rights litigation, defamation, and general litigation. For a free consultation, visit EhrlichLawOffice.com slash filibuster. That means that means I hit the button and let's figure it out. All right, okay, that, that will at least get us underway. It has, in fact, gotten us underway. Um, this is us not having a plan to get started. So, can screw I apologize? It. I'll apologize to the listeners if I am incoherent. Uh, my my brains were ruined by uh, sitting in the hot sun in traffic for too long, um, and due to a decision that I made because I did not anticipate that traffic being where it was. Um, I have eaten since then, so maybe my brain will work, but we'll, we'll see. Did you eat brains or did you eat human food? No, I ate teriyaki chicken. That's the same thing. Brains are, in fact, human food. <laughs> Thank you. Please, please don't turn off this podcast. But, but, but please do tip your waiters and waitresses. I can't. Please. please I have don't to. Turn it off. I have to start the show on that joke, Ben. So. Thank you. I hate you. Hey, hey, welcome in. This is Filibuster, the bad joke and black and red United podcast. I'm Adam Taylor, joined as always by Ben Bromley of the Yucks and Jason Anderson of the fried sitting in his car, something or other. Uh, we're all from blackandredunited.com. That's where we write about DC United, the U.S. national teams, the Richmond Kickers, and a lot more. Uh, we've got a good show for you tonight. Like we always do, DC United came back from their Copa America break and had two games. I'm not going to use adjectives associated with those games. They had two games, one in the Open Cup, one in MLS. We'll talk about both of them. We'll talk about the United States getting to the Copa America semifinals. And we will preview DC United's game this weekend against the New England Revolution. We have Kyle McCarthy from the Boston Herald on to help us with that one. Before we do anything, Jason, what are you drinking to recover tonight? Uh, I did have a good deal of time early in the day to consider a drink. I wanted to make something new. Uh, so I went out and bought some ginger beer um, and made a Mexican mule. Uh, it's a Moscow mule with tequila instead of vodka. Um, I got Giant. The grocery store actually makes a ginger beer that is not it, – it's the store brand, but apparently it's like small batch ginger beer that they've licensed somebody else to make. It's it's pretty decent for ginger beer. It it's not all uh, corn syrup. It's uh what is it? Cane sugar, natural ginger, etc. So nice. Um, yeah, it's it's uh, pretty good. I use the Technico Reposado. That's the tequila that looks like a luchador. Um, and I'm I'm pretty satisfied. It's refreshing. It's gingery. Uh, it's good. Excellent. Ben, what are you drinking? So for some reason, I haven't had. Sweet vermouth in my house. I'm in my house for months. <laughs> Shut up. No sweet vermouth in your house. No, I, I did not have any of that either. Uh, so I finally bought some tonight, and I bought some bourbon as well. And now I have a Manhattan because I haven't had a Manhattan in like months. And who am I? What 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 am I? If you what have one life? thing, then it is you drinking Manhattan. And if I have one thing, it is not liking rum at this point. But before the show. 
I a terrible thing happened. I on was, the way to the forum. Uh, on the way to the podcast. I was digging through my liquor cabinet and behind oh. several other bottles of, frankly, preferable, terrible alcohol, there was a small bottle of Jamaican rum that my friend brought back from Jamaica several years ago, like seven years ago, brought this back from Jamaica. And so I had forgotten about it. And it was at the very back of my liquor cabinet. And I found it and immediately cursed uh, my bad luck because I knew that there was no way I could not drink it on the show tonight. Um, and True. and so I, I don't know if you can call it a Ricky uh, with rum, but if you can, then that's what I'm drinking, a, a dark rum Ricky. No, you can't. Um, there's no mint in it, so it's not a mojito. It's just it's lime juice and seltzer and, and rum. And that is what I'm drinking. You sound You're welcome. So sad about it and rum. It's. I mean, you you cover it in lime juice and, and club soda, and it's not as terrible as it otherwise would be. But I seriously like threw what up in my of, mouth a little. What kind of rum is it? It's. I don't even know if it's good or bad rum. It's Appleton Estate Jamaica rum. That's good rum. A- Appleton's good. Okay. Yeah. It's rum. <laughs> it's You're rum. Like my mother. That means my, it's not good. My, my mother has a, a terrible rum story that she both refuses to, to tell us and we vehemently don't want to hear because it's my mom. Uh, but she just like recoils and she's like, demon rum. Every time she talks about rum. And I'm so not that violent. I'm, I'm just no, you are displeased. Um, I mean, it's like I said, you covered enough, enough other stuff and it's, it's passable. But um, I, demon when I rum. opened it, it, it I, I actually kind of threw up in my mouth a little bit. It was not a good smell. It took me back to some terrible times in college. Some of Great my times, hours but terrible fueled, times. Were fueled by rum. Thank yes. you, rum. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about soccer. DC United played 210 minutes of soccer this week after two weeks off, and nary a goal was to be had by anyone it was it was a little bit derelict unless you count the penalties that came after extra time in the open cup game which still were not that fun uh, especially jared jeffrey especially doesn't think so yeah he he reacted very badly after after united lost that game on penalties against the fort lauderdale strikers uh zero to zero after extra time united lost three to four on penalties after taking a three to two lead they missed their last two penalties and uh travis wore jumped crazy early on all of Fort Lauderdale's shots and they made all but one. So that was it. And then down in Houston, Bill Hamid's heroics were necessary, but um, another scoreless draw. So Ben, no goals for, no goals against. On aggregate, how are you feeling about these last two games? On aggregate, bad to okay. The The Fort Lauderdale loss was bad. I mean, there's no way around that. Even with uh, Ben Olsen doing his best to, as he always does in the Open Cup, to limit as many starters as possible from playing, that team should have won that game. They had opportunities to win that game. They had a number of shots. uh, They had at least two shots cleared off the line. They had uh, shots off the crossbar. That's a game they should have won. And the fact that they didn't, the fact that they weren't able to move on is, it, it does suck. Uh, 
the fact that they were able to move on, or the fact that they were able to get a point, rather, in Houston is impressive. I mean, usually Houston is a horror show of nightmares and disasters. Uh, and usually so, Houston are not a last place team. I mean, they're not that good in the last couple of years. Uh, Will Bruin seems to like come out of zombie land and uh, amble forward in a uh, brains kind of mode and somehow head a ball in to beat United in the 84th minute. And that's what I predicted for this game. So when it actually reached the 84th minute, when it was 0-0, I was horrified that I might actually jinx the team. And I think he had a shot on goal like nearby that time and the fact that it didn't go in gave me a sigh of relief. Yeah, Dave Johnson and Devin McTavish on the call uh, in the DC market certainly did their best to jinx it. Dave in particular yeah, really Devin, tried to jinx it. Devin deserves some credit. He he realized how close to the line he was, and he stopped with his toes over the edge. Uh, he was like, oh, I'm not going to say it. Um, <laughs> and that, I think... I mean, that was right before been, Bill Hamid went... Yes, I mean, literally, it was like 30 seconds later. And I, I do think uh, there was some level of karma involved with, with Devin McTavish backing up at that last second and not, not going all in. And that's why Bill Hamid was able to make those saves. The gods punish hubris, and they, they reward you when you recognize your own hubris and step back or something. I think that's how the saying goes. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> so these despite the similar score lines and, and a general lack of creativity on United's part, these still were different kinds of scoreless draws. Uh, Fort Lauderdale didn't do a whole lot of threatening. DC United did plenty. Um, they didn't treat, create good enough shots, but for most, the most part, but they had some sh- big chances they should have put away. Um, down in Houston, of course, the story was Bill Hamid late in the game, saving the, saving our ass, basically. That puts it, I, I, can't get over that foot save yet. I just can't get over it. Yeah, my favorite part was actually the the Ben Olsen reaction gif uh, uh, of him asking Bill Hamid, "Did you did you get a piece of that? Did you tip that? Oh, cool, thumbs up." <laughs> it was, I'm not really surprised anymore. Just like me, just all like right. all right, that was impressive. I figured, I figured yeah. it was you. <laughs> yeah, it's like dealing with Iron Man or Superman or some other superhero where you're just like, "Yeah, that was pretty awesome." <laughs> I'm just going to sit here and appreciate it and not be shocked. Jason, you pointed out a lack of creativity in the, and really in central parts in the Fort Lauderdale game. I don't think we saw much improvement of that in the Houston game, but well, what can actually, United do at this point? Actually, if you look at the difference in where the key passes were in those two games, um, United did make some improvements in that department, even though Houston uh, was really hunkered in um, with their their new look, with it, with the emphasis on a, a proper structure, which they did not have for a while there. Um, there was actually um, a good piece from Matt Doyle on that regard, talking about how he never really understood what Owen Coyle was up to, uh, because it was never quite clear in an, a month or a year and a half. Whereas Barrett's been there for a very small amount of time, and you can already see a plan. Um, it might not be the most alluring plan. I don't know that the Dynamo are going to be fun to watch for the rest of the year, but at least you're going to see, like, this is a coherently run soccer team that has an idea of what they want to do. Um, uh, but the, against Fort Lauderdale, the strikers did very well to hunker in and really force United out wide. And so there's sort of an, you can draw like an upside, or I guess a smile. If you, if you show the, the, um, passing grid from that game you can draw a smile and on the inside of the smile dc has no passes um it's all from outside of that um whereas 
against the Dynamo, especially once Al Haji Kamara came on, um, there was a lift in creating shooting opportunities in the center of the field. Um, and that's, that is promising. Um, the fact that, uh, Lucho Acosta opted for way too much power on one and then on the other, it was on his left foot and, you know, he, he hit that one well, but it's still not his preferred foot. And, you know, you can't really be too upset when a player shoots with his bad foot and it goes over the goal. Um, but it, it was an improvement from, to a certain extent, at least in that department, um, but as far as the way the game, the two games went, I mean, it's it's fairly obvious. You know, United mostly controlled the game against the strikers, even though the first half was uh, just a non-entity uh, from all involved. Um, there was basically one shot from Michael Santos in the seventh minute, and then the rest of the game just sort of occurred. Oh, um, Mike Sanders. Uh, yeah, I was not really. I've got to say, I was not really surprised to see him miss because we all know that. If he can't get going in the early stages of games, he never does get going. Um, and when he was elected, when when they elected to send him up for a penalty kick, I was like, well, that's probably going to end well. I don't like the chances of him succeeding in this this because it just hasn't been a good night for him. And he um, was the one Fort Lauderdale player who missed. Yes. And he he went for power Badly. and he missed by a lot. Um, but I, I will say that. Houston took a lot of shots. I think it was 17 shots on the night, but you know, Hamid had the one save on Bruin in, I think it was the 50th something minute. And then the two saves in stoppage time. And other than that, it was very routine for him. He had to claim a couple crosses in traffic. Um, he had to come off his line early in the game to snag something that was an attempted through ball, uh, to Bruin. That was pretty much it. Um, and so as much as it's one of those games where Houston fans will say that they dominated and they deserved a win and all this, I mean, the Dynamo's chances were only very slightly better than United's overall on the night. It's just that it took a long time for United to get any chances. It was really only in that last hour or so. Um, I want to grab my notes here just to make sure I've got the time. It wasn't even that. It was the last 20 minutes, basically, where they started to connect on a few passes here and there. Um, that weren't just long balls from Rob Vincent, which were he had a couple excellent long balls in that game. Yeah. Um, but that that for a lot of the game, that was all United really had. Um, they it's funny because the, the reaction online was as if this was like the worst game ever. And the first half in particular was like, oh, my God, this is terrible. But when you actually look at the pass completions data, I mean, it's not good. I'm not going to sit here and tell you it was actually a good game. But in the end, both teams completed 72% of their passes. Like, that's only the bottom end of adequate. Um, it's not, it was not the, like, nightmare soccer game that it might have felt like, especially on the back of having a two-hour 0-0 draw that was also not not that great of a game. Um, so as far as the quality of play, I, I guess the main thing for me is that the defense is holding up. Um, the team is being, they're, they're the def, defensively, they're giving themselves a chance to win games. Um, it's just coming down to creating a little more danger, especially if a team is going to drop two defensive midfielders in, um, and, and putting a finish, uh, a finishing touch on because let's face it. I mean, the only, since the first half against the Red Bulls, the only goal United has is off of a goalkeeper error on a hopeful ball under the box. Mm-hmm. Um, they have no other goals. They have no own goals. They have no set piece goals. Um, 
that's it. It's it's this one goal for Kamara um, that Tim Melia really needed to do better with. Um, and I, I believe that's 11 halves plus the extra time period at the soccer plex with one goal. Um, the good news is that they are barely conceding. Um, and they've stopped conceding in the first half. All of the goals they've been giving up have been late in games. Uh, Seattle scoring twice, Philadelphia scoring in stoppage time. Um, that's it. So the defense is doing really well. It's just you, you've got to find a goal somewhere. You've got to find a finish. And I'm a little optimistic. I mean, Kamara couldn't start this game playing 120 minutes when we were told in the build-up to the Open Cup game that he was fit to play around 60. Um, so it was no surprise that he could only – I mean, I, honestly, I thought he might not come in until the 80th minute just because of the, the exertion from that first game. Um, I expect to see him starting uh, given that he was not just looking more dangerous as a runner but also creating things for other people. Um and, and I think that and Espindola are both hurt. Until Espindola, right, and, and you know, those guys are unavailable. But even if they were were healthy, I mean, those guys aren't really proving that they can create more danger with Acosta um, than we saw already just in a very brief period with the two of them as a, as a quote-unquote duo. I mean, they were in 4-2-3-1 in Houston. Not that there's that great of a difference um, in this, in the way Olsen uses it, but... Um, I want to see that combination continue because I think they're more dangerous than what we've seen. Um, I mean, Sabo's kind of the same as he was last year, but Espindola in 2016 has just not earned, he's just not earned a starting role. And I would much rather see Kamara and Acosta building towards something because they're 22 and 21 years old. I mean, these guys are the future of the team Um, rather than hoping that Espindola just finds his 2014 or 2015 form. Um, I think we're far enough into the season to know that 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 doesn't appear to be coming coming down the pike. Yeah, I think that's all right. Um, I would like to see the two of them together in the in this next game against New England. I'd also like to see Nick DeLeon not play out wide in this next game. Um, He's had to play there a little bit and it, it hasn't necessarily been. I mean, uh, his rookie year all over again. Right. And, and that's been, that's been enforced by, yeah. by well, I mean, injuries and other absences to some extent. Can, can, yeah. I mean, can, can we give, can we give up his rookie year at this point? Can we just yeah, let that no, go? I'm saying it's not happening. That's, that's exactly what I'm saying. I know, but it, it, it's gone. Let's t- let's stop talking about it. Well, people are going to bring it up, so we should address it. Well, they're uh, wrong. <laughs> but yeah, let's put Nikki back in the middle or, or, or set him down and let him come in as a sub. Um, and let's put Nagel and God, it, it really hurts that Yarko and Rolf are both missing, especially if we can right. play four, two, three, one or four, one, four, one, something that, that gets our outside mids a little bit higher, closer to wingers. Yeah. Um, but that, that I is can, a little I bit deal with Rob Vincent at this point on well, the outside. That's, I mean, that is the formation that Vincent was playing in, in Pittsburgh when he was scoring goals so often. Um, and I think that is where he belongs on the field. It, it, that's the formation he belongs in. Um, mm-hmm is is a wide role in that where he's got some flexibility to dip inside now he does need to get more aggressive um we've seen in both of the last two games he he does dip inside but it's horizontal or even backwards um yeah. he's not cutting in yeah, to he, put a goal um he was almost like a 
an eight or even a six at some points in these last two games. Yeah, in the Open Cup game, there there was a few minutes where he basically got stuck in the middle and he never really settled down so he could cycle back wide. It was very strange. Um, And and we were pushing up the fullback, so um, there was someone in those spots, so he never really moved out wide. But um, still, I think um, the choice really becomes Vincent or Jeffrey. Um, and that dictates where De Leon is going to play. And I think we all kind of know at this point that Olsen is leaning towards Jeffrey. And we do need to pay some uh, tribute to Jeffrey because to play 120 minutes in yeah. central midfield uh, and then miss a penalty kick, and he was distraught. I mean, I saw saw it with my own eyes um, that the, you know the state he was in walking to the back corner of the soccer plex and then to fly to Houston and – endure a rain delay and then play the full 90 and actually he played fairly well if you if you look through the numbers that he really i mean yes it was a little too much of a backward passing um i know that complaint comes up with united central midfield all the time but uh given those circumstances i think he had a really impressive outing for him to gut it out and go the full 90 um vincent went uh what was it 69 minutes um, and he was also someone that went the full 120 on Wednesday. So um, those guys both in the heart department it, it will have impressed Olsen. And, and we all know that that means a lot uh, in the United locker room. Um, yeah, with Nicky having to come off in that game, too, after yes, not playing um, at all in midweek. Right. And, um, and and part of, you know, I don't know that De Leon might have been the way he came off the field. It looked like he wasn't moving all that well. It wasn't just tired. It was right. Maybe there was a little knock in there. Um, but if it's just tired, that's not um, that's not a great sign when Jeffrey's still out there and not really looking like he's dragging so much. Um, though I will say, United as a team really started to look tired. Yeah, uh, in the last they were. It's funny because they were finding the energy in the. They'd get in the attack and it actually perk up a little bit. Uh, but when it came time to defensive transition, the, there, there was just no gas there. Um, and it was sort of a weird and slightly harrowing thing to watch because Houston was also tired. That was the only, uh, bailout was that both teams would try and transition upfield, but it was like watching, you know, two boxers in the last round sort of lay on each other and try like lazily punch, uh, because they're just too, they're just too tired to do it anymore. Um, Houston obviously had a little more energy being at home, not having to fly. Um, and their open cup game was in, in Texas. So they didn't have, I mean, Texas is big, but it's not, uh, a flight from, from DC to Texas. Right. Big. Texas does not extend to the border of the district of Columbia. Geography lessons with Jason. Believe we it or not, a, we need someone to make up a jingle for that. So we can have it more often. Uh, one last thing I want to shout out before we turn to the U.S. national team, and that's a couple of debuts uh, we we saw this week. We saw Jalen Robinson finally make his official MLS debut for D.C. United coming on late in Houston. Uh, strangely playing outside midfield yeah. um, in to, that one. Just, just, just to, to help kill break, the game off. Right, and to not break up the, the back four. Because yeah. at that point, you start reorganizing that group, you're asking for trouble. So you just send him in and say, look, just you're out there defend, um, don't give up the ball in dumb spots, and it's like four minutes you have to play. Yeah, and he also Which played he the, the full game the on so Wednesday uh, at, at center back. Uh, yep. Also playing that game on Wednesday night was 16-year-old Chris Durkin, the newest signing for DC United, a homegrown kid out of, what, Glen Allen, Virginia? Um, 
the captain of the RVA US, all day. The captain of the U.S. Under-17 national team came in at central midfield, and if United fans like to complain, or those United fans who who like to complain about uh, the central midfield passing backwards too much, are going to be really excited by what Durkin seems to offer because he was aggressive and accurate with his passing. He got vertical. He he had some nice long balls. He had some good short passes. He looks like a player, and it's going to be exciting to watch him develop, which will take time. One really good showing against a lower league team does not uh, a hype train make. Right, and, and he, we're going to try to keep it that way. <laughs> and he's he's the way it's set up right now. He's not going to play with the DC United first team until at least after the U seventeen World Cup, which is in September and October of twenty seventeen. So he's loaned into to IMG Academy until then, basically. So it's basically he's going to be around for he might he might. Take the world by storm in DC United's first season at Buzzard Point, but not before then. And, and it's also worth noting that uh, if United had continued to stay alive in the Open Cup, he would have been eligible to play those games. Mm-hmm. Yes, um, and he'll be eligible for next year's Open yes, Cup. Yes, but uh, as well, the the way they've got this set up, um, unfortunately, if you know you you know had won the game, then we could talk about him again. But yeah. uh, in the good news is that we'll be able to watch him play for the U-17s. Um, and we will talk about him playing for them. Yeah, because, uh, I mean, he doesn't look like he belongs on that team. He looks like he could be like an assistant coach on the staff of that team uh, telling these guys what to do. Um, it was really impressive to see him seeking out the ball, um, making sure that he wasn't just nearby and like, oh, I'm an option. He was like, hey, give me the ball, um, which is a, a big thing in central midfield. And it's a pretty common thing to see when we've seen homegrown players and 16 year olds make their debut. That's not really the way they tend to play. They tend to play a very quiet game. Um, just trying to find their, yeah, well, they want to find their feet, um, and, you know, slowly grow into it. And he did not look like a player who was worried and lacking in confidence. He would look like someone who said, I can play at this level and I need to, if I'm going to be on the field, I need to make sure I'm involved in the right way. Uh, to contribute to the team. Like, otherwise I shouldn't be out here, Um, which is why he's captaining the U 17s as well. It's that kind of attitude. Um, It's not, it's not an arrogance. It's just a healthy confidence and a embrace of the responsibility that comes from being on the field. Um, And that's a huge sign for a player of that age. Um, Not to mention, you know, his technical ability is pretty good. Um, He's not slight, so he's not getting pushed around. Uh, he did get elbowed in the face, which somehow went completely unpunished. Um, in fact, he got elbowed in the face and, and fell. He got the called guy for the foul. He was called for the foul, and the referee gave a talking to to um, Luis Felipe from the strikers for elbowing him in the face. I don't know how that works, um, but uh, that's I, it. Wasn't a well refereed game, the Open Cup game, and both teams had reasons to be upset. Um, but yeah, it, the good thing the good thing about that was that Durkin didn't let that distract him. That happened pretty early in the game and he was fine. That that didn't throw him off. He wasn't shaken up. He wasn't intimidated. He was like, "All right, fine. It it's gone. It's over. I still have a job to do." Um so very a, a very impressive debut and uh hopefully we'll see more uh of his growth with the with the youth national team and then uh taking over a spot because I think if he were eligible right now, 
he would be in the running to make appearances in the 18 on a regular basis. And that's, I'm not saying that to start a hype train. It's just the reality. All right, let's move on to the U.S. national team. Jurgen Klinsmann's side uh, held on after a late barrage from Ecuador in the Copa America Centenario quarterfinals and are moving on to... Ah, crap. It says here we're playing Argentina. Um, That is true. That I... Yes. (laughs) We get Lionel Messi and the number one team in the world in the semifinals of Copa America, but... Hey, Jurgen Klinsmann set the semifinals as his goal and has managed to do it in probably his most competent run of games he's had in charge of the United States. Um, so yay for that. I mean, give credit where it's due. He has been uh, I won't. more competent <laughs> than usual. Yeah, uh, that's fair. I mean, there are still issues with what we're, we're talking about here as competent. I mean... The front line involves, a th- or it did involve three forwards, the two wide forwards being strikers that want to play in the middle, and the central striker being a guy that wants to play underneath. Um, but we've moved away from that without changing the lineup. The players are still the same, so um, there's some level of familiarity. I mean, we still have to watch Giacizardo's playing wide uh, with the national team, which is a bad idea. Um, but we might not have to watch him play wide in this game because he might be needed as a number nine. Yeah, we'll we'll get yeah. to that in a minute. I the one good thing about Jesse Zardes playing wide is he he's going to have one good play as a wide player a game, and and it might end up as an assist. And he's going to make a back post run at some point that somebody will somehow find. The man is the man constantly falls upward, and good for him for it. But there's a talent um, to that. Yeah, so, somewhere in there. He there there's something about being in the right place at the right time, um, and he whatever that is, he he seems to have it, um, and and good for him, and it's working right now because we're in the freaking semifinals, um, <laughs> despite ourselves, um, and and Jason, you mentioned the the changes Klinsman has made in the last two games of the group stage. He moved from his four three three ish setup to a four four two, dropping. Ali Bedoya from the right wing uh, and putting him kind of or moving him from the central part out to the the outside and dropping Jesse Zardes into midfield and putting Bobby Wood right where he belongs in the center, uh, a central position up top. And it works better for literally everyone. And he finally kind of started the game that way uh, against Ecuador and it worked out. Yeah, I mean, it does contribute to a very high-paced game. Um, I think the one of the main uh, appeals of the 4-3-3 when he started the tournament was a team that was more able to control the tempo, which um, wasn't necessarily going to be needed in the group stage, would definitely, be, have, would definitely seem to have been needed in the knockout round to go further than my expectation was they would get out of the group in spite of themselves and then get knocked out against anyone they played in the quarterfinal. Um, I was not, as our listeners know, I was not optimistic about a Klinsman coach national team. Um, the four four two does work uh, for everyone involved uh, a little better, but it does tend to be a very hectic game. The games are entertaining; they're high stress uh, for fans. They're, I'm sure, they're high stress for the coaching staff. Um, but they are very high octane games where the U.S. can't really slow opposing teams down when they attack, but they're also 
very difficult to slow down when they attack. So the games have been fun. Um, you you can't say I mean fun doesn't always mean it's been a well played game. Um, against Colombia, it was kind of a frustrating game. The attacks kept breaking down uh, right at the start of the attacking third. Um, they just kept running into a wall there. But um, since then, it's been pretty entertaining, and they've managed to get the wins um, thanks to some incredible defending from John Brooks. Um, they've managed to keep goals off the off the board. Uh, so it, it's hard to find too much to complain about in the, in the 4-4-2, even though... You know, against Argentina, I do wonder, um, and by wonder, I mean, am sure that playing that high velocity style and just going, you know, shot for shot with them and seeing who can end up uh, coming out of it. It's a bad idea. Um, You don't do that against Argentina when Lionel Messi has made it look like, if anything, he's made it look like this is even easier for him than normal soccer, which is already incredibly easy for him. So wait, Um, you're you're, you're saying that. Uh, Deuce can't go goal for goal against Leo Messi? Uh, I don't think he can go goal for goal against Messi. I don't think the U.S. as a team can go goal for goal against Argentina. Um, I don't know that outside of John Brooks, I don't know that anyone from the U.S. could get into their lineup, Um, especially once you get into the midfield and attack. I think it's out of the question that any of those guys could get in the lineup. Bill Bill Hamid. Though that's different. He's he has been left out because apparently he did not develop enough for Jurgen Klinsmann, <laughs> um, which I, I guess means that he expected him to have already conquered, literally conquered the world through goalkeeping talent um, and goalkeeping talent alone in a two year span. Um, you know, changing the uh, arc of human history altogether. Um, other than that, not good enough, apparently. Um, but uh I do. I am curious as to what Klinsman is going to do to deal with the fact that you cannot just stand in and go uh, blow for blow with Argentina and expect to come out. I, I know Klinsman has talked a lot in the last couple of days about not wanting to be purely negative, wanting to go in and have a plan to attack uh, at least some of the time, um, which is all well and good. I, I don't think that it would behoove this team to just sit in. I don't think they're cut out for it. Um, not necessarily tactically. I just don't think the players involved are cut out for that kind of mentality. Um, but you do have to come, you have to alter the plan somewhat. It cannot just be, let's go play, you know, pedal to the metal the whole time and see what happens because what will happen is Argentina scores a bunch of goals and you don't score as many goals as them. Maybe you get one or two, but you lose four, two. And, um, I mean, it wouldn't be that bad. I, you know, given where U.S. fans were coming in, it wouldn't be like, oh, what a disaster it was to lose in the semifinal to Argentina. Um, but Jurgen has said over and over that they don't just intend to stand in and see what happens in this game. They want to go and make the final. So you oh, have I to have, alter something to make the final. I have, I have two responses. Number one is assuming that our two goals were not garbage time consolation goals and they were actually kind of in the competitive part of the game, losing four to two against Argentina is better than I think we will actually do. And number two, anytime Jurgen Klinsmann says something, you have to assume he means the exact opposite. That is his history in charge of the U S he says he wants to play a certain way. You can be damn sure he's going to do just not that. I would say that, that Klinsmann's thing is not so much doing the exact opposite because then he becomes predictable. 
Um, there has to be a third <laughs> option that is in neither direction. Um, that's where he stays uh, unpredictable and infuriating a lot of times. Yeah, he's um, got a wheel. He's got a wheel split into eight parts, and right. five of those parts are do the opposite of what you say. Two of them are do something random, and one of them is do what you said you were going to do. And that's he spins the wheel after every time he makes a public statement. He has an incredible knack for confusing us and confusing everyone. Um, and this isn't a when he talks about how the American soccer public needs to learn things, um, which he did during this tournament as well. He did it again. Um, it isn't that people don't know or understand. I, I There are plenty of people that, yes, watch the team and don't necessarily know what's going on. Uh, at that high of a level, and that's fine. That's not a a bad thing to be a fan that's still learning. It's it's a good thing that you're still trying to learn. Um, but there are a lot of people that do understand what's going on, and he belittles them as well. He belittles everyone across the board uh, for not getting it or not knowing enough about the game and needing to be educated more um, when the criticisms are based on what he's doing that is wrong, that is transparently wrong. Um, fortunately we haven't seen too much of that. I mean, the roster is still upsetting when you think about it. I mean, Matt Beasler should never be playing left back and he only had to play there because the roster was so poorly constructed. Um, and he might be playing there this weekend too. He, he might be. I mean, the, the, the possibility of Yedlin coming back in at right back and playing Fabian Johnson in the midfield has, I've seen that said in more than one place, I would not rule it out. Um, and the idea would be the similar thing where he goes out to the left where Bedoya was and he protect be- protect Beasler um, in defensive phases. And um, he's a better winger than he is a fullback anyway. So at least you're getting arguably – I mean, Fabian Johnson may be the best player on the national team full yeah. stop. Um, him or Brooks. Um, it, you know, Brooks in this tournament has been better, but we have to remember Johnson's been playing not his best position. Um Maybe that's part of the idea, um, or maybe we see Darlington Nagby played wide in scare quotes um, in place of Bedoya with the idea of keeping possession and um, using his knack for not just being accurate but also playing forward to help out. Um, and we should say we know Bedoya is not playing in this game, and we know that Bobby Wood, uh, despite being – quite good in this tournament will not be playing in this game and neither will Jermaine Jones because they're all suspended for yellow cards uh getting to a well Jermaine, the Jermaine, of the Jermaine Jones is not suspended for yellow cards he's suspended no he's suspended for, for the red, card. red card yeah uh, that's right yeah uh, the I, other I, two are suspended for yellow card accumulation I will say guys let's not complain about the red card of Jones I know it seems soft but it was a hand to the face and the rules yeah. are very very clear on this no yep. hands to the face. And also, if, also, if there had been a yellow, he would have he would have been suspended this game anyway. Um, so. And I know, yes, there was a guy that that jostled him, etc. Don't start pointing at people near their face because that you might get jostled and your hand might touch their face, and then the referee is going to see just don't only Jermaine your Jones. hand on the face, and that's it. Um, Jermaine Jones, just don't Jermaine Jones. You know, the, Jermaine the, Jones is always going to Jermaine Jones. The the cards but don't. Were all, the thing is, all of these suspensions were avoidable from various angles. You know, Jones doesn't need – if he wants to argue with the guy, fine, but leave your hands at your side. Um, Bobby Woods Wood, was really Bobby, avoidable. Bobby Wood takes a yellow card during the chaos where the, the play tries to start up um, with Jones still on the field, which is bad refereeing. Um, you shouldn't be letting play start while the guy's still on the field. 
Um, and he just goes and dives in on a guy. Um, the Bedoya sub, they were they were thinking about subbing him uh, before his card and then reacted too late and then pulled him off a few minutes later. But it was the damage was done at that point. Um, so I think I think honestly that Zussi came in for Bedoya because that's what Klinsman's actually going to do. Um, Zussi will be playing on the right and someone, whether it's Zardes, uh, I don't know if, if Zardes plays, plays wide, then Wondolowski has to play. And I don't expect that to be from the start. I don't think Klinsman's going to say, let's go in with Wando against Argentina. Well, with yeah, Yedlin I, back, Zardes might play up front. Yeah. That's, that's what I'm saying is, is that the Johnson on, on the wing thing actually is more likely than it seems. Yeah. That's exactly what I expect as well. Um, but but there there are still a few options. There are a few movable parts. Um, the one that actually concerns me, the, the suspension that concerns me the most is actually Jones. Uh, because as we saw against Ecuador, in a 10v10 game, Klinsman opted for Kyle Beckerman, who can still play at that level in games that are slow. Um, this is not going to be a game. This formation for the U.S. does not allow for slow-paced games. This is not going to be a slow-paced game against Argentina. And I think Klinsman is going to go with him anyway uh, because he's made it abundantly clear with his sub-patterns that he has his guys and everyone else is just there to make up the numbers. Um, And Beckerman has gotten into these games. He shouldn't have gotten in against Ecuador. Um, That sub should have been Kitchen or Nagby. Uh, Nagby, if you want to win the game via possession – Kitchen, if you if you you know you're going for a defensive midfielder, but you need someone who's more mobile. You know, a ten v ten, you've got that much more room to cover, um, and you're protecting a lead. It was just it was a bad decision tactically um, to to send on a player who just doesn't cover that much ground anymore. Um, and when he does, he can't do it at speed. Um, it was a you know a choice that it didn't cost the U.S. anything, but it could have cost them something. But it is evidence that that's where he's going to go. He's going to go with experience over mobility and over fitting the system. Quite frankly, um, in my mind, I, that's what I'm ex- that's what I'm prepared for anyway. Yeah, it would be interesting, I think, to to see both Beckerman and Nagby in this one. If Klinsman goes back to a four three three, the two of them with Michael Bradley in the middle make they make some kind of sense. Bradley's not playing that number six anymore because that'll be Beckerman's spot. Um, but Bradley can play two ways. And if you have Beckerman underneath a couple of two-way midfielders, both of whom are very good in counterattacking situations in, in Michael Bradley and Darlington Nagby, and you have got, you know, you put some speedsters up top uh, to go along with Dempsey who can still finish. Um, I think I, I think there could be something to that. I don't know if that's what I'd expect. Uh, like I said, I think I think the most likely thing is, at least on the outside, is what we talked about, just keeping the four four two and mm-hmm. and subbing relatively like for like. Right. But but we'll see. There there are definitely some options for Klinsman here, and it'll be interesting to see if he if he goes simple or if he tries to go outside the box or if he gets in his own way or what. And I will say that if if Beckerman is getting the start, we need to really keep an eye on the referee because Beckerman is the career MLS fouls leader. Um, he's picked up a lot of yellow cards in his time. 
if he is picking up an early yellow against Argentina, he's probably going to have to get subbed off because he will probably end up he's going to get one in the second half. So if he gets one in the first half, you have to assume he's got to come off at some point uh, to stay at 11-11. The U.S. I mean, the U.S.'s odds of winning this game are already very long. The odds of them succeeding with 10 players, unless Argentina has two sent off in the same time frame, um, are very long. Uh, even in the context of U.S. wins, it becomes like, at that point, it's like the odds of uh, a, a bear falling from the sky to crush you. Um, uh, it just, it doesn't, it won't make any sense. It would fail to compute. Um, Everyone, so, please keep an eye out on the news for reports of falling bears. Don't yeah, don't get crushed by a bear. Uh that's that's my advice for for all of your lives. Uh if you, if you think that you're in danger of being crushed by a bear, find shelter. Do uh, something different. <laughs> go stand somewhere where that bear won't hit you. Make better choices. Yeah. <laughs> At that point, yeah. I'm less worried about the bear hitting you and more worried about how you got there. And and it makes it's sense true. Jason's approach is more practical. Survive the bear and then yes. figure out what you did wrong. Right. You look back on on your choices that ended in a situation where bears hitting you was on the table. Um <laughs> and and if Argentina were to lose to the US, they should look at look back on their their choices and say why did this happen to us? Because there really isn't a good reason for them to lose this game. Um they they really should be able to take control. They're clearly the best team in this tournament, um, especially now that uh, Mexico, who I said beforehand was was who I thought was going to win, got completely demolished in in the most amazing fashion by Chile. They they won up to Brazil. They said, "Yeah, Brazil in the World Cup, you can lose seven to one and then beat someone seven to one. Screw that. We're losing seven to nothing in this game." <laughs> it yeah, was, I, that game was. That was I mean, incredible. I, the only lesson you can take from that is don't give up if you're in a sporting event uh, because you might get humiliated in front of millions of people. Yeah, there there is a point to playing for pride. Yeah, it, it, it might feel like no fun, but at least you don't lose by seven. Maybe you lose by four and everyone says, wow, you guys got killed. It's like, well, yeah, but, you know, sometimes you get killed. Um, you don't sometimes you don't lose by seven. That doesn't happen a lot. Uh, that's like a. You go in the history books for that one. Yeah. Uh, ben, anything else to add about the Copa America before we move on and open up the Twitter box? Just please, please win. Meow, meow, meow. I mean, it's not going to happen, but... But you can ask. I can ask. Meow, meow, meow. All right, let's let's turn to the Twitter box now. We have an email from Tim Henney and. Guys are and and girls, we we always accept emails. We will even read good ones on the air. So send them to filibusterpodcast at gmail.com. Tim writes, this past NBA season, the Memphis Grizzlies wore the throwback jerseys of the Memphis Sounds, a former ABA team. They're not connected to Horace to his, historically, besides both playing in Memphis. What would we think of DC United aping this idea and playing a handful of games in the jerseys of the Washington Diplomats? Uh, what do we think about throwback jerseys in general as a concept? And uh, Tim says he would be all in on United doing a Johan Cruyff night with Cruyff bobblehead giveaways and throwback jerseys. He also adds that he is drinking Red Best, Red Breast 12-year-old single pot Irish whiskey neat. So classy choice on the drink, dude. Yeah. Respect there. Yep. It's, uh, a, it's a pinky out drink. 
<laughs> I will say, uh, on the broader question, I am generally pro throwback jersey. Uh, on occasion, I, I think that's that is the kind of situation that I would go away from my general rule in soccer where you should always wear your home colors at home. Uh, this thing that some MLS teams do, we saw it in Vancouver this weekend. Um, Toronto does it a lot. Um, some other teams do it where they wear their secondary, their road jersey at home to try to get more sales of that jersey. I'm not in favor of that. I much prefer DC United's approach where they always wear their home jersey. But if there's a throwback jersey involved um, or or a really sweet random third jersey like United's Blood Red kits from a few years ago, those I can get behind um, doing something a little bit different. I mean, I, I'd be totally okay with uh a throwback jersey for the for the dips or the darts or any of the 60s 70s 80s dc teams i i don't think it'll ever happen because of the uh intellectual property laws and yeah that's the thing with you, this you, one can, is- you can you can tweet at me for my opinions on intellectual property laws uh off of the podcast but i don't think it's i don't think it's ever going to happen yeah right now um i i think it's Band copyright. It's not. Well, I don't think this is copyright because Adidas would own the copyright, uh, presumably for the jerseys, but the trademarks uh, for the dips Band trademarks. are are not in MLS's possession. And so I don't think seeing uh, the three stripes in a sash across the, the front of the jersey with uh, dips written there in the, the old school font. I don't think that's a possibility. I think it would have to be, we might see a throwback to the cat in the hat jersey or a, some kind of three stripes DC United throwback at some point, but I don't think we're going to see a dips throwback, which is unfortunate because it would be a lot of fun, especially with the Johan Cruyff night, because I myself am a, a big fan of Cruyff. Uh, I'm going to go slightly different way. Uh, from you guys, I think specifically with the Diplomats and DC United, it would be unearned history. Um, that is not DC United's history. It's a different team that existed and then folded and then existed again and then folded again. Um, DC United's history, quite frankly, is richer than that of the Diplomats and of the Darts. Um, so if they're going to do throwback night, I would much prefer to see DC United throwback night to the jerseys of the early 90s, um, whether that's the cat in the hat or um, and we've seen t- the team do T-shirts uh, to commemorate the 96 season. Um, I think if your MLS organization has links to the NASL team of, of the 70s and 80s, then you're perfectly within your rights to do throwback nope. night. Um, Incorrect. <laughs> I mean, I don't mean like legally within your rights, but um, – as far as a fan is concerned, where the law is not really the uh, the object. Um, I'm not talking about law. Then what are you talking about? Screw, uh, screw the San Jose earthquakes for claiming 1974 is what I'm talking about. I mean, that is a little silly for them to cite, uh, for them to, to push the, the 1974 thing because there's a large gap in there and it's not the same ownership group and a whole nother franchise. But I, I will say also that the Earthquakes kind of needed help uh, as far as their jerseys went. And when they decided to do an away jersey as a tribute to the old Earthquakes, it was easily the best shirt they've ever had uh, in both incarnations during the MLS era. And then they 
obvious as as you would do, they immediately got rid of it for a very boring uh, white with red uh, template kit off the rack. Um, so Which they it, then replaced again immediately. No, 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 no. The the white with red is the problem. Um, they did the red with white that was a tribute to how the earthquakes used to right. look. And then they did an all white, and then they replaced the all white with they another. They did an all white, and I thought they just went straight to white to red. I thought they did an all white after that. Well, I, I either way. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Way, they, they, they suck regardless. Um, but for, for teams like the, the Sounders and the Timbers, um, I think it's fine. I think there's a reason you haven't seen the Galaxy do a tribute to the LA Aztecs or uh, the California Surf or whatever the name was. Um, you guys mentioning Adidas reminds me, I have an old, and by old I mean like, early 2000s, um, Adidas did a brief retro run of a handful of NASL jerseys. They did um, the Aztecs, they did California, they did one Diplomats shirt, um, and they're not really jerseys so much as t-shirts that look like the jerseys. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think Adidas might have at least some, or had at some point, the rights to use the diplomats thing because it's definitely a diplomats jersey and I have it in my closet. Um, <laughs> so it exists and I, I I I purchased it with money. It wasn't something that some guy made and dropped off at my house. Um, but in any case, for me, the issue is that the diplomats history is not DC United's history and it would be unearned to pose as the team of Johan Cruyff. Um, right. I, I don't think I, the connection is right. Uh, to do it. I understand why people would want to do it. And I also understand why the team would want to do it. Um, because I feel like those would sell pretty well. Um, if you, if you made a limited run, they would all sell. Um, but for me personally, if I were suddenly in charge of the team, uh, as a a dictator uh, of DC United, I would be against it and I would not allow it. And I would probably, uh, tell people to get the hell out of my office if they brought it up. But I would probably say that a lot about a lot of things. <laughs> so Jason, I, th- I think. Go ahead, Ben. I think it would be fine. I think right. most teams would do it. I think the Bethlehem Steel thing has done it. I think it's fine. Uh, that's that's I, what I was going to ask Jason about. Is, would terrible. this be better or worse than the Philadelphia this Union be, appropriating this Bethlehem be Steel? This would be better because of course it would be. Philadelphia is like 75 miles from Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. They are distinctly different cities. I've been to Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. I've hung out there. I've been to Philadelphia. They are different culturally. They are far apart. Um, it would be like a team showing up in Salisbury, Maryland and claiming to be the diplomats. Um, you know, saying, oh, we're, we're just like the diplomats. We've got their jerseys now. It's the same. Um, it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't add up there. And there's no reason to do that. Uh, the Bethlehem steel thing is far in the past. Uh, no one's, the jerseys look nice because they are clean black and white jerseys. Um, they're a decent color combination. That's why they look appealing. It's not because, you know, obviously everyone wants to have a connection with soccer's past. Um, even though none of us have an actual connection to it because, even if you were like, all right, I'm going to ask, I'm not going to say none of us. There are a very tiny handful of people who have some degree of connection to that. Um, for everyone else, you're just sort of, you're, you're sort of making it up. And I so, following a team is already a certain level of artifice. And I feel like that's going way too far. 
Um, they should not be Bethlehem Steel, and this the Union should not have been wearing Bethlehem Steel jerseys. It was ridiculous. Um, I feel like that is like the the end point of what DC would be doing if they did a Diplomats knockoff night. I think DC doing a Diplomats knockoff night is not nearly as severe. They are still playing in the same stadium. Um, but yeah, and, and you know, to go back to Ben's point, saying it was fine. It would be fine. It would it would irk me a little bit. Um, I just wanted to be very specific about why. Um, ultimately, I'd be like, all right, fine. It's not I'm not going to complain about it. If I had to write about that game, I wouldn't probably even mention my irritation with it. It would be a very minor thing. And that would be it. Um, it's it's a lot like the Star Wars night promotion where I was like, I, I would rather not do this on the night of a rivalry. But, you know, it's fine. And we won. Uh, and we scored more than one goal. So now I'm like, let's do Star Wars night all the time. Um, <laughs> and I'm not even a huge Star Wars fan. It's just I'm superstitious. And if this makes us win, then by all means, um, if you're listening to this and you love Star Wars, show up with your Star Wars shirt or whatever it is that you've got that you wore to that game. Please keep wearing the superstition. That. We've got to get wins. When I Adam did it with the rum. I'm still doing it even, with the rum. And he doesn't even like rum. And if you like Star Wars, you should definitely be meeting the superstition. Uh, going back to Bethlehem Steel for a minute, one of the problems I have with the unions, besides appropriating history from a different city, which does make it worse in my mind, is that they're not wearing actual throwbacks. They're wearing, I guess, faux-backs that don't look like... They, they're the same colors as what Bethlehem Steel war but they're heavily branded with bimbo and with adidas and other things that bethlehem steel never ever ever right, wore right welcome to the present we're running a real nation yeah, yeah. and also you know but no i that's one of the problems i have if you're going to do a throwback yeah, yeah. You, you should do a throwback it doesn't well, have, you, it, you, you can probably, cut and made from modern materials but it should look like the old one but you can't get out of your sponsor contract no but you like, can that I've seen throwbacks where the sponsor is made smaller and put, uh, you know, I, almost a patch size, uh, yeah. the size of the team well, badge let's, let's be rather honest. than across the, company, the chest. And, and you can the make the black on black already, rather than white on black. Right. But Beambo has made it very clear that they are fine with their name and want it presented as is. They are not going to change the fact that the American marketplace reads it as Bimbo and has a different association. They no, that's do fine. not care, and they're sticking to their guns. So when you come to them and say, we want to do a throwback jersey, can we do like a logo of yours that is like old-fashioned and matches the jersey? And they're like, no, we're Beambo. This is our logo. Put it on your shirts. Get yeah, out of my it, office. At least they did let them put it in, I think, red instead of the, the usual the blue, red, white, and, and blue. White, yeah. Yeah. Um, it was a little so, less so awkward Beambo, than normal. That that was the compromise. Is you still have to have it plastered, and you can't do a proper throwback. But at least it can match the jersey's colors for this the col- one shirt. The color scheme isn't that ridiculous. Um, with a blue trim in the middle of this um, black and white jersey. Yeah. Anyway, I think that's that's all we have for the the Twitter box this week. Keep those questions coming on on Twitter and, and on the email. This was a really good one. It's got us thinking. Good ones get on the air, and that's the rule. Uh, We will be right back with Kyle McCarthy to preview DC United's visit from the New England Revolution, so stick around. This is Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. Hey, Ben. um, 
You wouldn't say this is a hostile work environment, would you? You can tell uh, me. Depends. I mean, well, I should ask you. I mean, is are goats hostile? Uh, I think goats are, are hostile. I think that they are secretly trying to take over the world. But but if this were a hostile work environment, or if I were trying to steal your wages, or or do something else oh, nefarious, in a, I'm really not. Uh, but in a workplace environment, you know who to call, right? Because you live in the District of Columbia or Northern Virginia. I, I do. It's the Ehrlich Law Office. It is the Ehrlich Law Office. Uh, they they offer discrimination, wage, and litigation solutions in Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia, which means I can totally create a hostile work environment for Jason. Except, no, he, they, they wouldn't want me to say that. That would be bad. I do not want to create a hostile work environment for anyone. But Jason couldn't call them nonetheless because he lives in Maryland. Sorry, Jason. I'll fight my way through this. All right. <laughs> Uh, they handle workplace discrimination, wage theft, uh, non-compete clauses, and uh, non-solicitation litigation. They handle civil rights and government takings and disability and education law. They handle a lot of things. And if you are interested in a free consultation, head to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. Welcome back to Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. We are now going to talk about DC United's upcoming game against the New England Revolution, the team that's just ahead of them in the Eastern Conference and just above the red line. To help us out, we brought on Kyle McCarthy from the Boston Herald and many other places. Uh, Kyle, welcome to the show. Well, after that introduction, I'm super happy to be here. (laughs) Uh, We've got a little tradition here. What are you drinking? I have a glass of ginger ale tonight. Tomorrow's going to be a very long day with the U.S. national team against Argentina, and uh, it's Monday, and I I have to be careful. It's going to be a long week. (laughs) You're you're taking some ginger ale to uh, settle your stomach, is what you're saying? You know, I think that's a fair assessment of the situation. (laughs) (laughs) I still, to this day, order ginger ale when I fly. I don't even get air sickness at all, but I always order ginger ale. I mean, why not, right? Like, yeah. they're going to bring you something free. You might as well make sure that it stays down for the duration <laughs> of the flight. So the Revs are coming off a, a nice win over Vancouver, and unlike some teams actually advanced in the, the Open Cup on Wednesday, um, other than that, you know, before this Copa break, though, it was kind of up and down for the Revs. What's going on with them this year? Uh, it's been a lot of different things, a lot of injuries. A lot of up-and-down performances. A lot of forwards not scoring any goals. And when you throw it all together, uh, it fits really well in the Eastern Conference because <laughs> no one's doing much of anything right now. So uh, I, think, I think like every other team, uh, the Revs kind of got through the first third of the season, and now they're going to try and get things together. <laughs> it's just an extended preseason for them and, and everyone else. Well, you know, that's the great thing about a 34-game season where more than half the league makes the playoffs. You have a little bit of time to warm up. <laughs> and then time Especially to cool down. Especially in the East. Yeah. And then cool down and warm up again. Um, as the Revs have used to their advantage uh, a few times. I know they always have that late summer swoon before getting it together in the fall. Yeah, uh, it, it's it's really a pattern at this point. And, you know, it, it, it's great from from my perspective, because it's so predictable. Like, I know it's coming. I can, like, get mentally prepared for the articles I'm going to have to write, and that's all well and good. 
But I found that the team itself doesn't really like it very much. <laughs> they get a little prickly around the summer months. So who knows? Maybe this is the year that they, they try and get out of it. At least you know how to approach them because you know how they're going to be feeling at that time of the season, too. <laughs> I've had a lot of experience with, with the Revs and, and losing at inopportune times. Uh, so you, you learn how to navigate those circles a little bit. All right, uh, let's let's talk tactically a little bit. Kellen Rowe is, seems to be back in the middle these days, uh, at least from time to time. How are, how is that Revs midfield working out at this point? That's a thing, and that's uh, that's been happening off and on during the uh, the course of the season. The reason now is because Gershon Kofi is recovering from a knee injury, and uh, Jay Heaps has tried to to put Kellen Rowe in the middle. Um, it's worked. Well on some occasions, not so well on others, but he's adjusted to it, and he's, he's working hard. And, and what it really does, it allows the Revs to kind of, uh, you know, get their best players on the field. And by allowing Rowe to, to operate in the center of the park with Scotty Caldwell, and uh, it gives, gives heaps more latitude in the wide areas. Uh, Kyle, you mentioned the forwards. Um, I think anyone that knows MLS sees the names that Jay Heaps can call on um, with with Kai Kamara adding to the list, um, which was already a, a pretty promising list on paper. Um, what What's happening that's causing that group to be less than the sum of their parts at this point? I think it was a lot of different things. Uh, when you look at how the Revs started the year, uh, when you look at some of the rotations, they weren't able to get settled, and, and that certainly has a part in it. Some of it was just down to form. Uh, but the arrival of Kai Kamara changes everything, right? Because he's your number nine. He's the guy who's playing center forward every week. He's the guy who's going up to win the headers and, and hopefully score you a lot of goals. Uh, so for the Revs, they really put a lot of different players into those wide areas and, and said, look, you're going to have to compete for places. You're going to have to show well, or, or you're not going to play as much. And, and I think that's helped uh, the Revs as, as they've started to get back into things. Um, what do you think of the uh, the development with um, Andrew Farrell moving out uh, to right back? There, there's a, there's been a, I guess it's been what a season and a half of him playing center back, and now it's back to moving him out to the right just to see if that that might help things a little bit, and it's. Maybe has, uh, but what do you think? Uh, it was a necessary step. I don't think he performed particularly well uh, in central defense uh, during the first third of the season. He uh, is certainly capable. He's a good MLS defender. I think everybody mm. knows that. But for one reason or another, and again, a lot of changes in the back, uh, it just didn't work for him there. And and Heaps decided, hey, let's put him out somewhere where he's comfortable at right back. It's a spot where perhaps some of those mistakes won't hurt as much. And it allows him a, a chance to, to find the rhythm that he, that he needs. And I think it's, it's worked out so far, particularly because you've had London Woodbury come in and, and really do a job there. Uh, the question for the Revs is, are those alterations a long-term solution to the situation? I, I don't know. Um, I guess my, my last question would be about Lee Wynn. Um, it seems like with the... The Revs forwards, and, and I'm counting the wingers in because a lot of their wingers end up also being forwards for, from time to time. Um, it seems like once they've kind of gone off the boil, Win isn't able to, and it's asking a lot for him to have to carry all that weight on his own. Um, do you think he's 
ready to break out or is it still is he still sort of stuck waiting for some help to come along? I think he's performed pretty well over the past couple of months. Uh, I had a chance to, to watch him go through a, a scrimmage, the revs, you know, toward the end of that interminable uh, Copa America <laughs> Centenario break, uh, you know, went out and, you know, did what teams do to keep sharp. And, and he just bossed the game. He was pinging the ball around, moving it quickly, getting players through the lines. Uh, and he had shown that in the previous couple of league games as well. And, when he's firing, the Revs are really difficult to beat uh, because they win the ball in good areas, and then they hit you quickly. Mm. Uh, and when all those pieces are coming together, uh, they're tough. And and I think Wynn, uh, particularly uh, over the past couple of months, is putting himself in a position where he, he can exert that influence on games regularly. So... I... The the forward line for the for the revolution has been interesting this year, and I'm I'm really interested in Juan Agudelo, the the once and future uh, rev, and it, he seem it, whenever he seems to get in, he seems to do okay, but he seems to have a hard uh, hard time getting into the getting into the lineup. So what's going on with with Juan Agudelo this year, and do you think he finishes the season with the New England Revolution? I, th- I think he'll be a rev at the end of the season. Uh, I-, I think his talent is there for all to see. Everyone knows how good of a player Juan Agadello is. The question with him is whether he can perform consistently. Uh, he has those flashes of brilliance, but he needs more 7 out of 10s over the course of a season. I think he's taken that on board. I think he's taken strides to address that situation this year. Uh, but he's another guy who's impacted by... Kai Kamara's arrival. He's got to produce week after week or he's not going to start. And I think he certainly makes the Revs a better team when he's on the field. I think he offers a different element. But uh, he's got to produce or else he's not going to stay there. And I guess my other question, I'm, and it's, it's similarly based, is about uh, an old DC United favorite, Charlie Davies. Uh, we all love Charlie Davies here, even though his tenure in DC United was short-lived and a little bit controversial. Uh, I know he's been dealing with some injuries, but uh, what do you think is up with Charlie Davies this year? And do you think he has a chance to uh, support Kai Kamara or uh, work with Kai Kamara? Or do you think he's just been displaced by uh, the new striker? Uh, I think Kai Kamara is going to be the starter there. Uh over the long term. I, I think you go out and make a move to get a guy like Kai Kamara because he's going to be your number nine. That being said, Charlie da- Davies has a role to play over the second half of the season. Uh, he's dealt with a lot uh, during the, the past few months uh, on the field and off the field. Struggled for, for fitness. He struggled for uh, with some injuries. Uh, and he's really had some personal issues that he's had to go through uh with the birth of his children. So a lot of different factors that play into it, but he still plays an important role for the Revs in the locker room. And I still think he's going to be a contributor as the season progresses. So put yourself in Ben Olsen's very cool sneakers uh, for a moment. And he doesn't wear them on game day and it disappoints me because he, the man has some good shoes. Uh, 
if you were going up against the Revs, how would you game plan against them? How would you prevent Lee Wynn from moving the ball between the lines? How would you make sure Kai Kamara doesn't head in about eight goals um, against you? I actually like Benny Ball as a matchup against the Revs because United doesn't try to keep possession at all. It's not what they do. They don't want it. And that's a good thing because when the Revs are most dangerous, they're they're winning the ball in good areas, and then they're hitting you. They don't want the ball either. So the key for United is to make sure that they're they're clean at the back. No turnovers playing out of the back four. Get it upfield directly, and then – let guys get out and, and try and run at, at the ribs. When when New England's been vulnerable this year, the line's been a little bit too high, and they've struggled to manage the channels. And D.C. United has some pieces there that can exploit that. So if I'm Ben Olsen and, and I've you know undone my tie a little bit and pulled it down just right, and <laughs> you know I'm I'm barking at the fourth official, uh, I'm trying to tell my guys to play clean, stay solid, and, and work the channels. All right, Kyle, thanks so much for coming on tonight. Guys, it was really fun. Thanks for having me. Why don't you tell our listeners where they can find you online if they're not already following you? Well, if you're not already following me, I mean, okay. Uh, I mean, we'll have a talk about that later. But uh, I have a Twitter account, at Kyle J. McCarthy. I have a Facebook page, Kyle J. McCarthy. Uh, and you can you can find my work in the Boston Herald, New England Soccer Journal, and various other publications along the way. All right, guys, find us at blackandredunited.com. We're on Twitter at filibusterdcu for the podcast, at blackandredu for the website. Send your emails to filibusterpodcast at gmail.com. We're on iTunes. We're on Stitcher. We're on SoundCloud. Mostly, though, tell your friends about the show. We'd really appreciate it if you do that. So for Jason and Ben and thanking Kyle one more time for coming on the show, I'm Adam. Thank you so much for listening. Say goodnight, Jason. Good night, goal scoring. (laughs) Ha <laughs> ha